0: fourplex thing that's, you know, four units in one and holy cow, that's that's a scaling and, and economies of scale there. Um, and so I, I took the step in the right direction, just not all the way. So I started buying a lot of fourplexes. Um, and then I kind of just finally took it that last step and said, well, shoot, if four is better than one, then a 100 must be better than four.
1: It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by realbluespruce.com. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Adams. And guess who we've got today? None other but Jeremy Porto, who started investing back in 2008. And then he waited a few years, and I did the same thing. He bought, again, in 2012, then 13, 40, 50, 16. And he has a rental portfolio of around 50 doors, which consists of a bunch of four plexes and a 13 plex between Florida and Colorado. He also is investing passively in real estate as well. He's got a 40 unit that's supposed to be closing pretty soon, and he's on the passive side. Another interesting thing that he's doing to really get into the multifamily spaces. is He's looking to be a key principal. So with all of these rentals that he has, um, he's built up a a net worth and a liquidity that's helped him to be able to be a signer on a loan. So he's doing that to be able to go on to someone else's loan to build the credibility faster with banks so that he can be his own syndicator as well. So he's got years and years of experience. One cool thing, he was a special ops pilot for about nine years. And uh, he owns Blue Ridge Investment Partners, so there's a lot that we're going to get into today, and I want to start by just kind of diving into, for Jeremy, I want to just dive into like what you've been doing uh, the last few years uh, and what changed your mind. I mean, you were doing fourplex, fourplex, you're buying these on your own, and then something changed recently where you kind of wanted to get into syndication. So I'm very curious about that. If we could just start with, um, oh man, there's so many places we can start with you. How about just start with your very first deal? What made you think about getting into real estate in 2008?
0: Yeah, 2008, I was in pilot training and uh, I tore my Achilles. uh, And so I had about six months to lay in a bed uh, and recover. Did a lot of reading, got just a stack of books from the library, um, all the tv shows on about flipping and and renovating homes and everything and so my mom and i you know got interested and and that was also the time when there was a ton of foreclosures on the street that we bought uh you know i probably probably exaggerated this further and further every time i say it but there was probably eight or nine foreclosures on that one street uh and we wound up buying it as a rental uh put a little money into it just kind of get it rent ready and then started renting it that really that that proved the concept and, and really made me excited for the future
1: Okay, so you and your mom, um, how did you guys split the split up the chores, the money? What did you guys do to do that?
0: Yeah, you know, it, it, it was not very balanced. Uh, my mom pulled out HELOC on her own home uh, for the down payment for the renovations. Um, I, I did a bit of the searching, a bit of the kind of, uh, you know, intelligence work, if you will, and if this was a good deal, what it would take to renovate, what we could rent it for, um, and – then kind of as that was happening, I had recovered and went back to pilot training, and then it was kind of left on her. Um, we did partner again on another uh, home later, and then it was kind of the opposite. So I felt much better, like I was pulling my weight. Um, I did the majority of everything, and she was kind of just a you know, not literally passive partner, but, you know, did, did a lot less.
1: All right, so uh, were you scared to get into this deal in 2008? Was it, was it something that was kind of making you feel uneasy, or was it very comfortable? Man, uh
0: I was young, <laughs> so really kind of fearless. Um, I don't think I knew what I know now as far as the way things can go wrong. Um, and, and, you know, there was a bit of luck, I think, as there is for anybody that gets started, you know, that early with with that little uh, education, but I think just taking that first step. I mean, it wasn't completely blind. You know, I did my research as best I could. I just didn't know a ton at the time. So I I don't think I was scared, but I think that was just a factor of my, I think my mom was scared. (laughs) Uh, She was recently divorced, had four kids. Uh, You know, I think two at the time were not in college yet. And two of us were, Um, you know, her finances were very questionable at the time, but I think that's also what kind of led her to get into it and, you know, really kind of pushed her to do something.
1: Okay. All right. Let me ask you this. What you, you, I kind of have you quoted. It just says uh, you learned that things could go wrong. Uh, You were young and you didn't know. So you learned that things could go wrong. And I need to ask, did you learn that the hard way or how did you learn how things could go wrong? Um, on that deal, did, I don't think I
0: learned the hard way. Uh, that deal, from start to finish, because we just recently sold that a couple of months ago. Um, I, there was there was a few small things. I mean, it, it, we wound up having a, a pipe burst uh, partway through ownership. Um, you know, uh, nothing too major, other than that one. I didn't really learn hard way on that, um, and I think I was fortunate enough that post that I kind of got the education and, and was able to protect myself a little bit better. Um, I I am fortunate, knock on wood, to say that I haven't really had too many hard hard lessons yet. Um, I'd like to say that's a factor of my education and due diligence and all that, but it might also be a factor of just luck too.
1: Okay, let let me ask you this. Uh, we, it might be uh, something that gets tied in later, so I just need a double check since I haven't asked you before. Um, I know you were a pilot for nine years. Sure. Um, What? type of education did you have when you were going through um maybe college or you know what what is your background education wise and I, I don't know how to ask ask it better because you know maybe it's not relevant but go ahead and tell me and we'll see if it possibly is
0: sure uh i was a civil engineer graduate uh, and I, I would say there's not a direct correlation there, even though you think there might be like, you know, civil engineers about building and bridges and construction. It, honestly, what we're learning about was really not that applicable. Um, but I think what was applicable was just the way of thinking, a very science minded, data driven kind of way of thinking, as is flying a plane. It's very um, methodical. There's a lot of checklists involved. I think both of those things played a huge part in uh, understanding real estate. Um just from a, like a philosophy perspective, I would say rather than literally like, you know, I was a, I was a, you know, a finance major or something. I knew numbers. Uh, that was not the case.
1: All right. So one interesting thing, Jeremy, and for the listener I consider you a friend. We've, we've hung out. You've helped me a lot with my events and I really appreciate that. And I never knew that you were um, an engineer. I never knew that like specifically, but I always thought that. I always thought that you were engineer minded. And that's actually why I brought that question up. It's just just because I had this feeling that you had an engineering background. You said you're a civil engineer back uh, graduate. And um, so my hunch is, is there and, I believe that this is something just kind of to, to touch on it. And it doesn't mean that if you're not an engineer, you can't do this business, right? I am not an engineer. I uh, I just like people and I like, you know, building companies and having, you know, playing the game of, of building businesses. But I absolutely need somebody on my team who's like you, who can do the numbers. Because that, that's just, that really um, stresses me out just to even start to pay attention to it you know and i think that when i've gone through uh with all of the multifamily people the people that kind of have decided that they need to scale they tend to be engineers so i just thought it would might be interesting if you weren't it's, it's kind of funny i never specifically knew that i just had a feeling um but I'm glad, I'm glad I am glad asked. So let me ask you this. What was it? So you started in 2008. You kind of learned the hard way at, with some things, and you kind of learned by watching for some other things. So you bought in 2012, and then you kept building this portfolio of 50. What was it exactly that made you think that it might be a benefit to you to get into multifamily syndication? Yeah, to
0: take it back to – the beginning side, I never got into real estate thinking like, oh, this is the way to financial freedom. It it was more just, it was a, something I was interested in. It looked fun. Yes, I can make some money off of it. But, you know, I was in the Air Force. I was looking at, you know, a career in the Air Force flying. um, And this was just kind of something on the side. So, I mean, that kind of explains the gap from 2008 to 12. I got back into flying, you know, I was heavy into my education and and, and flying. Um, Come 2012, you know, I wanted to dig more into it. and And I feel... Uh, I feel like this kind of proves the concept that multifamily is is the way to go, big multifamily. Because when I was in single families, and that's what we were doing early on. I was like, oh, there's this you know fourplex thing that's you know with four units in one, and holy cow, that's that's a scaling and, and economies of scale there. Um, and so I, I took the step in the right direction, just not all the way. So I started buying a lot of fourplexes, um, and then I kind of just finally took it that last step and said, well, shoot, if four is better than one, then a hundred must be better than four. And, you know, there's a bit more to it than that, obviously. But, you know, that was kind of the, it was just a slow realization
1: over time. Okay. Okay. And, um, another question is you're putting your money passively right now into 40 units. So what does, how does that benefit you? Um, and sincerely asking the question, like, because I know that the listener is going to want to know, he's putting his money into four fourplexes. He's doing this and he's considering going into multifamily syndications on the active side. So why would you uh, take this detour to be passive in someone else's deal? Just if you can kind of give us that, that mindset, what you're thinking on, on that and how it might help you. Certainly uh,
0: with the end in mind of me wanting to be a syndicator, uh, You know, I've got some education to do, and one of the best things that I could teach myself about the passive side of things and how to interact with my passive investors when the time comes is to be one myself and and see, hey, what did I like that the sponsor did? Oh, that that's awesome. That made me feel very comfortable with the deal. I felt like, you know, he was being a good steward of my money. Or what did I not like? Ah, he didn't communicate maybe as much as I wanted to. Okay, so when I'm a syndicator, I'm going to communicate more frequently than that. You know, it's just learning the opposite side. Uh, I'll take it back to my Air Force career. To be a good leader, you got to be a good follower. Um, I think that's a pretty good uh, comparison there. To be a good, you know, actual active syndicator, you also have to know how to be a good passive or at least understand what it means to be a passive investor.
1: Have you ever looked in the mirror and thought you'd be further along financially by now? If so, you're not alone. Many people find themselves wanting to ditch their nine to five, wishing they had more time with their family. What most people want is to simply live the life that they choose, and with plenty of money to do so. The good news is you can live an abundant life through apartment investing. Mark and Tamil Kenny with Think Multifamily help you take back the time and freedom so that you can live free from the stresses that burden so many. Through Multifamily Investing, they teach you how to set your family up for a lifetime of true success and fulfillment. They have helped hundreds of people just like you. Patrick, for example, who since working with Think Multifamily has purchased over 900 units with another 850 under contract and at 27 years old was able to quit his demanding job in corporate America. Regardless of your age or profession, Think Multifamily can help you create the life of your dreams. As host of the new Think Multifamily podcast, Mark and Tamil will walk you through the journey step-by-step to make sure you are completely set up for success. Through this interview-style podcast, you will gain a proven strategic apartment investing system and hear stories from successful investors, all to help you be light years ahead of those who try to do it alone. Subscribe to the Think Multifamily podcast today at thinkmultifamily.com forward slash podcast. What other, so we talked about kind of when I was introducing you, I know that you were planning on using some of the net worth that you've built over time, building this portfolio since 2008. You have uh, decided that it would be a good thing to uh, partner with a team that's already doing something and just kind of sign on the loan so you can have that credibility as well. Um, so what, what was it really on the KP side when you're kind of deciding to, you know, put your, Net worth out there for somebody else's deal. What does that give you for the end in mind as you discuss with becoming passive? Yeah, two things. Uh, Experience
0: would be the first thing. So, you know, when I ultimately go to try to get uh, agency debt, some kind of Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac loan, uh, they're going to want to see that I have experience. Um, And if I've aligned myself with somebody as a, a KP, a key principal on a deal, somebody that was, you know, involved in the decision making, they're much more likely to give me that loan than if I have no experience whatsoever in any kind of agency debt. So for one, it gets me experience as a KP and that'll help me later get those loans that are desirable. Uh, and then two, it's just another way to very easily get into a deal Uh, for very little effort. I mean, that's truly passive, right? I mean, as, as, uh, we talk about passive income all the time and being a syndicator is not quite passive. Um, being a passive investor is, and, and that's my way of, you know, making, uh, my net worth and liquidity work for me. Uh, that, and that's truly passive.
1: Okay. Uh, i really I really like what you 're saying there. One question here is um, you you mentioned agency debt and you mentioned that it was more desirable so if you if you don 't mind, uh, could you talk about like what is the other type of debt that 's less desirable Sure, so
0: why I would say agency debt is more desirable uh the the longer amortization period you can get up to a 30 year amortization if you and I'll give you an example with my 13 unit I went with a regional bank and I was not able to get 30 year uh amortization uh, <laughs> that deal was a great deal the deal the property itself but but pair that with the financing that I got and it brought it down a few steps that was there were some lessons there there's my hard lesson right there we can go into that later but uh that that bank loan was 15 year amortization um and so so obviously that has that has uh, some consequences on my cash flow. Obviously, it's uh, it's not as good. Um, the loan to value or loan to cost is also a, a difference. Um, you can get up to 80% loan-to-value, loan-to-cost with agency debt, uh, depending on the region that you're in, the market that you're in. Uh, with the banks, you know, that's questionable. I, I, I wound up with uh, 70% loan-to-value, uh, loan-to-cost, which I was not very happy with. Um, so that's why I say it's a little more desirable. If you, get the, if you have a great deal, Yes, I have to pair that with a great lending to make the whole outcome great.
1: So one thing that you didn't touch on was the interest rate. Uh, could you touch on that? Yeah, sure. Uh, On my 13 unit, uh, I got, I think it was five and three quarters,
0: which I think is maybe slightly higher than what I could have got. I think maybe five, five and a half, somewhere in there, if it it had been like a Fannie Mae or or Freddie Mac type loan, something bigger. Um, So at least that was somewhat comparable.
1: Okay. What was the balance on the 13 unit? How much did you pay for that 13 in Florida? Yep.
0: Bought it for 615000 and 70% down is somewhere in the ballpark of like 430000 for the loan. Um, and the rest of that obviously came as equity. It did a 1031 um, and, and brought a little cash as well.
1: Okay. Tell, so when you're doing a 1031, you said you had to bring in cash as well. Was that approved by the 1031? How does that work?
0: Yeah, if you are if you are buying a place uh with ex- funds from an, ex- an exchange um it just it's a requirement that all that money so that you don't in- incur a tax uh, liability it's it's a requirement that all that money goes into the next deal but if there's not enough money from that first deal you can supplement with your own cash and that's exactly okay. what I did.
1: Perfect, perfect. Thank you for going into that. All right, so let's just let me just ask you this question. So you are planning to sign on a loan. You are already getting into this 40 unit. And then you you have your portfolio of 50-ish doors already. What does the next deal that you close on look like?
0: Mm. Oh, you got me on that one because I, I've been working for the last nine months, I would say, on educating myself while I continued kind of my old ways of real estate investing, flipping small rentals, uh, brokering for other people. Uh, that 's kind of come to an end, and I have been actively you know trying to syndicate, so what that looks like is actually looking at deals and underwriting them and trying to find stuff obviously i haven 't found something yet, so I would say it's it 's definitely one of two things it 's either another passive investment or it 's partnering with another uh, more experienced team. As, as I syndicate with them, so i 'll be on the general partnership side of things with that other team they 'll bring the experience the knowledge and and hopefully i 'll bring the deal. I also intend to bring uh, some of the passive money uh, i 've been developing relationships uh, over the last couple of months with with friends and family that um, you know that I, or, or mostly a lot of it has coming from guys that i was that were in my squadron when I was in the Air force they knew I was doing real estate investing so Taking your advice, I put together a sample deal package on my 13 unit. Um, I didn't syndicate that deal, but I wrote the deal package as though I did. So substantially, the numbers are accurate, but there is a little bit of, of uh, you know made up stuff in there. Um, and I sent that out to them and say, hey, look, this is an example of something I intend to do. Do are you know? Is this does this interest you? Um, and you know, I start kind of garnering that interest. And, and now I have those guys kind of waiting on the sidelines. Hey, yeah, w- when, when you get a deal, let me know. I'd be interested. That way, when it comes time to, a- I actually have the deal. I partner with somebody and I have, uh, I can bring in some of the money, passive money as well.
1: Do you mind if I ask you a few questions about that? Yeah, definitely. You mind? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got me. No, I All don't right. mind. All right. So um, first off, how does it benefit you Uh, because you're doing a sample deal package on a smaller deal, something like 13 units. And there's a probability that, I mean, if you're partnering with like my team, you'll probably be closing on 400 units at a time or 200. Um, so, So just the first question is, if you're kind of touching base with your audience, which are your friends, to be able to look at a deal that you might be closing on, do you think that because they they agreed to uh, maybe looking at a 13 unit do you do you think that if you show them a, a 400 unit like um we've got a 454 unit closing here in 37 days so if you, if you um show the actual deal to your friends. Do you think that they might be scared? Like what you said, 13, not 400. You know what I mean? Certainly. Uh, first of all, congratulations. Cause I just saw
0: that, uh, new stuff pop up about, uh, the stuff that you're in a contract on. So congratulations to you guys. Um, that, that was a consideration when I was putting that deal package together. Do I use this 13, which the pros are, it's something that I did. I'm intimately familiar with it and it, and it kind of shows my experience or at least a level of experience or do I use something that is either made up completely or just not my deal? So I'm not intimately familiar with it. It might be larger and more realistic of what I would bring to them in the future, but, you know, it's, it doesn't show my credibility. Um, I decided to go with my own deal that was smaller. And just as I talked to these guys, like, look, we are on an upward trend here. So this is 13 units. but The next thing you can expect to see from me is likely to be much larger. Um, what that means to them um, in some ways, it's very transparent because uh, the minimum, uh, the minimum buy-in, if you will, is it, probably going to be about the same. The, the what won't be the same is the economies of scale. I Obviously, you can do much better in your 454 unit by bringing in all kinds of ways to increase your NOI and ultimately your value. Um, I can do less of that with my 13 units. Um, so yeah, in, in that sense, it will be better for them. If anything, uh, when I bring in a bigger deal,
1: I definitely have more questions, I, uh, several questions already in my head that I, I know I want to ask about the sample deal package and how it worked with your your friends. Uh, but I I was thinking to myself, do you think that it would be of benefit to switch that pretty soon for maybe this 40 unit that you're definitely going passive in and just say, here's a deal that I went passive in and this is why? That's that's a great idea because for one it does it it it
0: is bigger, um, it, it's it's still shows my credibility because I'm involved in it. It shows that I'm willing to invest in other deals and you know maybe they would consider the same, um, and yeah I mean it, then it also shows that I'm being active right. I didn't just do one thirteen unit and sit on my butt right. I, I went out and did something else and it wasn't. Exactly. I didn't syndicate on my own, but I I got up and did a a passive investment in someone. So it shows activity. It shows I'm not just a one and done kind of person.
1: Cool, cool. All right. So the next question that I have. So you put this this 13 unit together and you put it together with numbers that would show as if you syndicated it and what returns might have been for the passive. Is that accurate? That's true. Perfect. Okay. So when you did that and you had some friends already that you were working with in the military and they have seen you for the last several years investing in real estate and they, it sounds like they were kind of already interested. So how did it, how did that conversation go ahead of time as you were kind of making these relationships with your friends did have they just been reaching out to you for a long time and then you said here let me just show you something or was it more like hey i want to show you what i'm doing and see if you're interested
0: yeah uh that is a very good question because i just got done reading uh, magnetic capital victor Minash uh you had him on earlier um and i i think it's important not to just show up to somebody that you may know but haven't talked to in a while and just go, hey man, got a deal. You want to, you want to buy in? Cause I don't think that's going to go very well. There's, there's an element of trust that's missing there or just that, uh, constant, consistent trust over the years. So I, I kind of have a, uh, I guess a three step process, if you will. The, the first one is, you know, if this is somebody that I know well, but I haven't talked to in a long time. And there's plenty of those guys out there that were my squadron that, you know, we're still friends. We'd help each other out if it came down to it, but we just haven't talked in the years because we live in different places. Now I reach out and, and it has nothing to do with real estate other than if they ask me, what are you doing in real estate? I just reach out and I say, Hey, how are things going? What are you up to? You know, I just saw on Facebook that you moved or whatever the case may be. I just open the conversation again. Um, the second time around, uh, you know, I'll wait a little while and, and depends on, you know, how that first one, go- that first conversation goes, I'll bring up the real estate. Hey, this is what I'm doing now. And, and, uh, you know, I'm really excited about it. I just kind of share that excitement level. Um, you know, I'm putting together a deal package to so, show guys, you know, that want to invest in this kind of stuff, what it's like. And hopefully I kind of lead them to ask me, oh, well, you know, can, can I see that deal package? Yeah, sure. I'll send it to you. Um, I send it to them. That's, so that's all step two. And then step three is kind of the follow-up. Hey, you saw the deal package. What'd you think? Uh, you know, do you have any questions about it? Do you understand how this works? M- my goal there is to try to a, get all the general questions out of the way because syndicating multifamily apartments is not something that everybody is necessarily familiar with. So let's get those general questions out of the way. How does this work? You know, I, somebody was asking me like, well, you know, how much money are you putting in? And, and so there's all these kinds of questions that have to get answered. That's all the general stuff. And that could be done without an actual deal in place, ready to go. Then all that's left is, oh, sorry, the other thing I try to get from them is, hey, are you interested? And if so, how much do you think you might want to bring to something like this so then i could go right down hey this guy was possibly interested for fifty thousand. so at the end of the day when i tally up you know i think i've got a million lined up and let's be realistic half those guys are not actually interested another half of the remaining guys are going to have something going on there's got to be a timing element of oh i needed to use this money. so really that million is not a million but at least i have a, a a written down concept of how much money i might be able to raise um and then the the that's that's the third step is to try to get that last piece out of them. So it's it's not just showing up and asking if they want to invest. It's at least for me, I made it very methodical. I track it on a spreadsheet: what date I talked to them, what we talked about, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so it's it's a little bit more than just going out and asking somebody to invest.
1: Okay. And all of this is done virtually. These they they don't live in your city. Very few do. Very okay. few. Okay. So that's, that's really good because I know that there are many, many people that really have connections throughout the globe. And some of them are, it's because of they're in the military and some of it's because a job moved them or their, their spouse moved them, you know, and, and what ends up happening is, is that they fear that they can't reach out to the person that's in Florida or California because they're now in Virginia or Colorado. And at which point they kind of shoot themselves in the foot. They, they immediately say to themselves, well, I don't live by them anymore. We haven't talked to in a long time, so I can't. But you ask yourself instead, you say, well, how can I reach out to them? How can I? And you made a three-step process, which seems to me to work uh, very, very well, just as I kind of go through the flow that you had. So I, I do believe that it, that there's a lot of uh, strength to this and I'll touch base on it uh, a little bit. Uh, one is you just kind of reach out. And I like that you make sure that you're reaching out just to touch base and ask them a couple of questions. How are things going? But it's not to. It's not to pitch them on anything. It's just, uh, hey, how's it going? I haven't talked to you in a while. And then you'll give it some time. Uh, Between reaching out and then the second touch, uh, could you kind of tell us about what amount of time you're usually giving since you're successful with it? Sure. It kind of depends on uh, like how that first conversation went and what we talked about. And if
0: they did bring the conversation to real estate, if they did, that second conversation would probably happen a little sooner. If we literally did not discuss real estate at all, I'll wait probably a bit longer. Um, In that case, you know, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, something like that. I mean, it's also just kind of a feeling because I I do want to back up and say I have a three-step process, right? And this sounds so methodical. Like, as though I don't care about these people, but I want to make sure that it's clear. I do. These are my friends. These are guys that I, you know, f- you know, flew in combat zones with and, and you know, we share a bond and I'm talking specifically about my military friends I have other friends as well, but, you know, I truly care about these people and so that first conversation is genuine and just trying to catch up with them. Um, I don't want to give the impression that, oh, I just have that conversation to line myself up for the next one. Um, you know, if you're going to be successful in this, you do have to be genuine. Um, so I just want to make sure that was clear.
1: I really appreciate you pointing that out. And I, I'm sorry I didn't point that out, but I, I do believe that that's really uh, extremely important is that <clears throat> you you shouldn't just be reaching out to just anybody. You, you are really, there's a reason to reach out and it doesn't mean that you have to have your own agenda. It's just chatting with them and then kind of seeing, um, which is what I think you're doing is you're just, you're you're just reaching out to them as a friend, and if the conversation automatically moves to real estate, great. If not, you'll just call them in a few weeks, right? Uh, five weeks or whatever. Just touch base, and you might possibly bring out, "Hey, um, yeah, I'm. Uh, this is what I'm doing." But it sounds like that that doesn't come up. Just it doesn't honestly. And I think this is good for the listener. So please uh, answer what you think here, because in my opinion, what it seems like you're doing when you're contacting even the second time, it doesn't sound like you have an agenda for that call. You just, it sounds like you might be bringing up real estate if it makes sense, but it doesn't sound like you are, you have to bring up real estate the second call. Is that accurate? That is true because although I said it's three steps
0: um you know you gotta define something right but there are often times that the people i talk to it's it's four or five steps because the second time i call it just doesn't feel right the third time i call maybe it does and so then maybe it comes up and and like i said i try to let them bring it up right um not only do you don't want to be a pushy salesperson for one and and for two you know you got to remember that the bottom line of this conversation is it's someone you care about. It's someone, you know, and it's someone you want to you know catch up with.
1: Okay. So, uh, and thank you for going into that. And then the third step, which, you know, could be the fifth touch, but it's the third step after, you know, they're kind of showing a little bit of interest and you show them what the, P, uh, not the PPM, but your, um, your sample deal package is. then you kind of reach out to them, This is the third one. It's just, hey, hey, uh, what did you think of that sample deal package? Uh, Do you have any questions? Are you interested in doing this with us? And if so, how much? Is that right? Yeah, I I try to ask open-ended questions because I feel like that will lead
0: them to actually ask the questions that they have as opposed to um, what do you think about that uh, cash on cash return? You know, and then, sure they can have an opinion or whatever, but I, I want them to literally ask me the questions that are burning, you know, that they don't understand something or maybe they just don't trust the system. Like, Oh, this feels like a Ponzi scheme. I don't know why it would, but you know, if, if they've got these hard questions to ask, if I ask open-ended questions of them, I feel like I can draw that out better and make them feel more comfortable with it.
1: Okay. Think of, Let me ask you this. Has there been a time where you mistakenly didn't ask an open-ended question and it kind of shot you in the foot? It kind of stopped the conversation? Is that why you bring it up that they need to be open-ended? Well, the answer is yes. I'm sure I have. (laughs) Uh, Do I have an example at
0: the front of my mind here? Uh, That's hard. Um, There are times where, you know, I'll I'll ask a question and – their answer is, is kind of combative. Um, like they obviously are not buying into this in whatever way, whether they don't trust the fact that I'm doing it, whether they don't trust the deal itself, or whether they just don't trust the concept. And if, if that happens, I, I back off and it goes back to, you know hey i haven't talked to you in a long time and and it can, and i can leave it there because if the, if if in for any reason they're not interested in doing this I, i'm not a pushy salesperson i don't have to have that person invest in the deal um so then it could just go back to us being friends again and and maybe it ends there as far as the business side it ends there and continues on solely as just our friendship
1: okay good good info and i'm i'm right there with you i just i prefer to just be friends and with whoever and answer questions for whomever when they ask, but I do, I've, I, this is just me. Uh, I focus a lot on just on maybe on social media, just always sharing what's going on. I and mean, you mentioned that earlier that you saw that we had a deal closing. Um, I always just like to put it out there. And so people who are just following, may or may not reach out. So uh, on that post, which it, it is just for the audience, this is um, a, a 506C, totally accredited only. So that may, is the only reason why I'm able to put it on social media and talk about it on the podcast. So you should know, uh, just for any audience member, any listener now, that it's really important that you are doing exactly what I am doing, not part of what i'm doing. If you have a 506b where you're raising money from friends and family only, it's not something that you should put on Facebook. And yes, you're going to make the argument, well, the only people that are on my Facebook are my friends. Well, the SEC doesn't know that and they don't know how you can prove that. So if you're doing a 506b, you you're not you shouldn't be putting you shouldn't be talking to anybody except for, you know, in person with people that you've had a relationship for some time. Um, however, when you're doing a c, which is accredited only, then you're actually allowed to generally solicit. You just can't promise returns. So I need to just touch on that. Um, and as I do, what I'm saying here is, is I'm, I'm sharing with my audience that there is an opportunity. And it helped out because um, I think that I got like maybe 30 or 40 people reaching out um, just actually on the thing saying, oh, that's awesome, congrats. And then a few people that said, uh, you know, give me the PPM." And a few people that went into my inbox and said, hey, can I raise money with you? Or hey, can I go passive in that? Or hey, make sure you show me the deal package, all that kind of stuff. So um, I paused the interview to like share a teaching moment of what are some of the things that you can be doing. And what helps me personally is I have, I don't really chase any investors. I just wait for people to reach out. And then when they do, it's much easier conversation for me to have you know with maybe these three step processes i would would definitely do the reach out definitely share what i'm doing but just like jeremy's saying right now today is it's not about having an agenda it's about well this is what i'm doing and you kind of if they ask you questions then you just answer and jeremy i liked what you i liked how i heard because a lot of times when I'm listening to you, I can hear what's, I can hear your thoughts in the back. You know, I can, I can tell what you're, I can tell why you're approaching it that way. And, and, and in this case, I had a strong feeling that you were not just telling everybody on the second call that, Hey, I'm in real estate. This is what I'm doing. It was, it's, you know, we, you spelled out, there's three main approaches, but I had a feeling that, you just genuinely are just connecting with people and it's more of, it sounds like it's more of if, if they start to ask you, then you'll um, very gracefully respond to the questions, but you're not like, all right, I got them. I hooked them. You know, now right. I can get them as an investor. It's, it's, it does feel like your approach is all about just uh, moving to the next level as friends and perhaps with them being interested in this, you might say okay well let 's let 's have an opportunity for you in number three well i 've got an opportunity for you if you want to see like the the way that these deals work i I have something that I put together on my last deal, uh, and I just could show that to you, and this would kind of give you an idea of what the returns might be and you're you 're really just helping them. And I think that that's the most important part of like the last 10 minutes of us kind of talking about bringing people in is is exactly that you're not selling allowing them to be a part of it if they want to be and if they have the questions and the desire you're you're there to be uh, maybe a conduit so that they can invest their money into a a good place that you're passionate about. Is that right? Definitely, uh,
0: you know the ultimate goal as far as this side of syndicating is to put out you know valuable information to people and when when they have a desire when they have a need uh, to invest their money better than what they're doing now, they'll come to me because they know that I'm good at doing it. Um, and um, I think you're phenomenal at that. You, you put out tons of value on your podcast on your Facebook. And I think people are drawn to that. And so it's, it's genuine on their side, it's genuine on your side that they come to you and say, I'm, I'm interested in, you know, what do we do from here? And then obviously you're following all the SEC rules that you have to follow, um, to, to get it done. But that's, that's the ultimate goal on, for this side of, of the syndication.
1: Okay, and let me ask you. And, and you know, thanks for the compliment. I don't want to n- not. Uh, <laughs> I I really do appreciate that a lot. L- let me ask you. Um, and from where you are, and I know I do know that you have the intention of ha- of starting a podcast. I I I know that already. Yep. And I know that when you're making these calls, you're adding a lot of value. Um, but specifically, you mentioned um, how you you mentioned giving people valuable information. You, you mentioned that. And I just want to ask you, like, um, really for you, what have you been doing um, just the last couple of months uh, to to bring that to a level? What have you already been doing? Not what do you plan on doing, but specifically, I know that there's something that you've been doing. I'm very curious um, how you've been approaching bringing value to your friends outside of just making these calls? Yeah. Um,
0: two. I would say probably two ways. Uh, one is literal just explanation of how real estate investing works on, on whatever level they're at, right? They're just basic information knowledge. The other, I would say, would be like a mindset shift. You know, hey, you can do this. Like, you can go uh, into big apartments. I mean, that is your uh, mantra, I would say. You can get started big right away. Um, and, and just kind of talking them through that. Um, so a lot of times, you know, we're people. We're, we are, uh, you know, we relate with each other. We have a, a desire and a need to interact. And I think I can provide that to people on a, a real estate level, right? I mean, you know, you have your spouse or your girlfriend or your children or whatever for that intimate love. And, and I can provide a different kind of, uh, human connection, uh, through, through explaining real estate, uh, from a knowledge side and from just a mindset side too. In, in fact so there, there, my wife put me in touch with uh, someone that she went to school with um, he He had just bought eight units, um, and I thought that was pretty cool he had i don't think he had any single families, and he and I had been chatting and texting and emails and Pretty much everything, sharing book recommendations, back and forth, to, to, uh, and I feel like I have ignited something in him that makes him really want to go down this path. He's got a, I'll call it a brand, uh, of, uh, personal finance, and it's not all just real estate, but, you know, it's, it's living below your means, a lot of personal finance stuff, and, and obviously real estate plays heavily into this, um, and so I can see his blogging and everything, kind of taking a real estate shift here. Uh, and, and I'm hoping that, you know, that stays lit in him and that, that he continues. I, I, his passion and his education, his knowledge, his demeanor, all those things, uh, I, I'm looking for, you know, someone to partner with truly. All these kinds of things in him make me think that one day, hey, he and I could possibly partner together like in a long-term kind of way. Um, not just, you know, I bring a deal to a company and we work together on this deal kind of thing. But I mean truly together. Um, they're, they're, I'm kind of I won't say shopping. that seems like a terrible word, but I, I'm actively looking for someone that shares my passion and knowledge and, and just desire to learn, so that I can partner with him Because you know you can't do this on your own. Um, you know, and, and so I see that as two ways to partner. Um, but yeah, so just talking to him, I feel like I feel like he is at a very different place than he was two months ago when we first started talking.
1: This has been so far just really really valuable. Like. The, the mindset of where we are has is, is been really valuable and the way that you Whole value into other people. When you're talking about the mechanics and the mindset, the two main parts of this is, is, you know, you've got to be able to believe it. And then, then here's how you do it. So I, I just want to go back a little bit, just so we talked about reaching out, we talked about sharing that you're in real estate, you know, offering them a chance to look at this uh, investment package, this sample deal package that on a deal that you've done before. And I want to kind of get into more specifics on how that conversation goes because uh, initially that sounds like the toughest uh, conversation anyone can have because it, it, it appears to be really scary that you might offend them or you might push them over the edge. So I want to understand with your success on, on pu- pulling together a possible million dollars in the last couple of months. I want to understand how does that conversation go for you? That third one, how do you approach it and, and how have you been able to solve the, the fear that most people would have of kind of getting into that question and offending somebody or making somebody think that you're only reaching out to them so that they can put their money into your deal. Kind of, how do you solve that on that third touch? Um. So, you want to know kind of specific questions
0: that I might ask
1: them? Um, There, you know, there is a lot of curiosity that I have for you on the question specific, but it's more on the mindset. Like, because I think that most people right now that have not yet done this, They hear that you're going to give them the sample deal package and they think that's easy. Okay, I can give them a sample deal package. But I honestly believe that most listeners are going to say to themselves, yeah, but how am I going to have that second, that last conversation about what did you think? Do you have any questions? They're going to be stressed out and they're going to be stuttering on their words. So I'm asking you more on what are you doing to solve the stress so that it can be a casual, open conversation.
0: Yeah, I, un- unfortunately, there's not a real direct answer here. But the thing that I think was biggest for me and therefore is biggest for somebody that I'm talking to is acclimatizing yourself to talking about very large numbers. Cause I can remember when I was first starting out and I heard you at one time say, you don't have to start in single family. You can jump into big 100 and 200 unit apartments. It's possible. I was like, are you kidding me? That 100 units? That's, that's crazy. And as I read about it more, as I listen to more podcasts, as I talk to you more, I just heard that number 100, 200. I heard it over and over and over and it becomes normal. And now I hear 100 units and 200 units and that doesn't phase me to hear that. I hear 454 units and that phases me a little. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, but the, having these talks with these people when, when it's on the real estate side of things the, the more that i we talk about it just just constant exposure to it i think that's the word for it the exposure to big numbers big units that makes it easy for them and therefore it makes it easy for me and and i'm not only acclimatizing them to to investing in something that big but i'm also acclimatizing myself to talking about something that big and and um so i think really it's just it's getting that exposure so that it's a normal question it's not a weird question you don't you said hey you might feel awkward about asking this question i don't feel awkward asking the question because we've had this conversation for so long about such large
1: numbers and what this
0: means and and you know all those
1: okay you know, so so you personally um you, do you have the fear when you're talking to somebody about what they think about looking at the, um, sample deal package and you're asking questions like, are you interested? And if so, how much you don't have any anxiety asking them how much money they want to invest with you. So I I try to
0: ask it softly. I try to give them, you know, opportunity to explain a way that they might not be able to. So I, you know, kind of the way I would ask that question is, um, I understand that everybody's financial situation is different. You know, it, there, there's maybe you've you've got the money to invest, but you know, maybe you're not committed yet. You know, you're not sold on the idea, or maybe right now you don't have the money, um, or maybe you have that money and it's being used elsewhere. So they don't feel bad about saying no, I don't have the money right now because we leave it unsaid where that money is. Either that money is not existent, and they feel bad for not having enough to invest, or or that money is tied up in something else that they're doing. Um, so so I ask it in a very soft way.
1: All right, so I'm really enjoying what you're saying right now, Jeremy. This is this is gold. Will you will you state it again kind of how this conversation goes after they've seen your sample deal package and it's time for you to get a feel for if they want to be a part of this and if so how much? Will you share that one more time kind of your process of how to bring that uh, information out from your potential passive investor?
0: Yeah. So uh, I'll, I'll start talking about myself, my deal, you know, my side of things. So it's not directed at them. So they don't have to feel uncomfortable. So, okay. I, so I'm typically, you know, looking for about a $50,000 investment in, into this property. That's kind of generally what makes sense uh, as far as the correct number of investors. We're kind of a family when we get into this and you have too big of a family or too small of a family and it doesn't work well. So, you know, I'd like to see about $50,000. Um, now maybe that's not money that you have right now. Maybe it's tied up in a different investment. Um, you know, maybe just, you, you don't feel comfortable yet with the idea and all that's okay. If, if not, we, you know, feel free to ask me more questions. We can wait for the next deal. Um, but do you think this is something you might want to be involved in? And they go, you know, yes, you know, something to it, to a positive effect. Okay. Do you think, do you think you'd have $50,000, um, you know, relatively soon or be able to earmark, if you will, kind of set aside that you might be able to invest something if I found something tomorrow. Yes, no, whatever it is, right? We kind of go from there.
1: Okay. Um, I love it. Honestly, I got I got a lot out of that. So thank you. And I know that the listener got a lot out of that too. What I'm going to do here is I think I'm looking at the time. We've been on for a bit, haven't we? Yes we have. Sorry. Okay. All right. <laughs> Jeremy, um, we've, got, we've really gotten into some of the nitty gritty on really how to approach bringing in passive investors. And I think we've just learned a ton. Um, so I do want to get into the final five. I, wanna, I just want to allow the listener now to, to absorb all of the, the gold that you gave them today. And I definitely will be bringing you back if you're open to that. I'm definitely up. Okay. this was a fun chat, to be honest. Everything that we discussed today just got me so much value. And I know that the listener got a lot of value. So Jeremy Porto, we will have you back on the show. Absolutely. 100%. I appreciate everything that you're doing. And uh, until next time, my friend, think outside the box.